0: May be seated. So, Father, we gather this morning uh, claiming the words of the worship songs Every Victory, and Yes, I Will. And God, we want to come before you this morning and and commit to you this great desire to live for you. Uh, What a special opportunity to have families on stage with their kids the dedication, the desire to dedicate their children to you. And Lord, we know that a ceremony like that doesn't save, but Lord, we, we pray for those young children. I pray that they would receive Christ at a very young age and they would commit their lives to you, to following you. God, I pray that we could be a congregation that can model that, that could encourage that, that could pray for them. Thank you, Lord, for each person who is here. And Lord, as we continue our time in the word and in this series, gather, grow, and go, I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you are present today. And I pray, God, desperately, knowing that there are people right now who are hearing my voice in this room online that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And maybe there are people that are struggling in life, wondering what is the answer? And we know, Jesus, that you are the answer. And I pray, Father, that you would be drawing those individuals to yourself this morning. May there be one, or two, or 10, or 50, who recognize their desperate need for you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 47 this morning, Acts 2, 47. Glad that you are here with us this morning. Welcome to those who are joining us online and those who are part of our traditions venue and also our kindred campus. Many different parts, many different angles, many different ways, but we're one church with a shared mission and vision. We're in the series Gather, Grow, Go. And we're on the third part this morning, a going church. If you're in need of a Bible, just slip a hand up. We've got some ushers who have Bibles and they'd love to let you borrow one. And if you need one, take one home. So this is the third and the final week of our Gather, Grow, Go series. And just a heads up, next week we'll be starting a new series called We Believe. And I'll be covering the evangelical free church statement of faith. And it's this idea of know what you believe and know why you believe it. And so we'll be covering uh, each different part. I'm excited for that. Acts 2:42 through 47 paints for us this incredible picture of what's called the early church. And oftentimes when we think about church or how do we do church or what should church look like, we turn to this, this early church, this model, this, this example for us. And in this series we have looked at three main takeaways. Two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of gathering as a church body, what it means to, to get together for worship and, and for learning. And last week, we talked about what it means to, to grow and the importance of growing as individuals and as a church. And we, and we learned that it takes consistency and, and community to do that. And as a reminder of the past couple of weeks, I want to read Acts 2, 42 through 46, and it leads us right up to the final verse for today. This is what it says. So think about this in, in the sense of this, this church, this model. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And that's where we ended last week. And as we have been looking at and studying this this first century church, what have we found? What have we discovered about this early church that characterizes them? In other words, what are the marks of this early church? Well, we learned that they are a learning church. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a caring church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship and being together in community. They were a Christ-centered church. They got together and broke bread, not just for for a meal together in in smaller communities, but they shared communion together and remembered the death of Jesus on the cross. They were a praying church. They devoted themselves to prayer. It was a generous church. It says that they gave their time and their talent and their treasures to the work of the Lord. So those are some characteristics of this early church that kind of sets them apart. Man, it sounds like a wonderful church, it's like a church I would want to attend. Would you want to attend this church? Of course, but you want to know something? As amazing as this church sounds, even with all of those incredible characteristics, if that's all they were, they were unhealthy and incomplete. It'd be out of balance. It would be a church that's driving on three good tires and one flat tire. I wanna say it a different way. You can have a church that is committed to gathering for the preaching of God's word, a church that experiences the presence of God and one that, that cares for one another, but if they cease to be a church that is going as the hands and the feet of Jesus when they leave a room motivated by the passion and the desire to see people come to Jesus. That, my friends, is a lopsided, out-of-balance church. So far, all we've talked about is the church's internal life, inward, but not its external life. So verses 42 through 46, amazing verses. They're great, but they're incomplete. It only tells us part of the story. It describes a church that many are comfortable with. It describes a church that many are looking for. It's familiar. And in fact, it's what many believe the church ought to be. We should focus on us. We should focus on me. We should focus on my family. In fact, it's one of the most common questions that we have that we never really articulate when, when we're visiting churches. What does this church have to offer me? What does this church have to offer my family? We should only be concerned with growing our own spiritual development and care for those who come to Bethel, right? It's been said, I've heard the statistics for many years, that 87% of churches, evangelical, Bible-believing churches, believe it or not, 87% spend 100% of their resources on efforts to gather and grow. And what that statistic says to us is that there's only 13% of churches that have as a part of their mission and their DNA to go and reach the lost. 13% of churches are familiar with verse 47. And today our attention shifts from the interior of the church to an outward focus. And so today's topic is going. Verse 47 brings balance. Without verse 47, we would have a wrong first impression of the church. Without verse 47, we might think that all they did was get together and have Bible studies and and all they did is get together and pray. But that's not all they did. They had a relationship with God and they had a relationship with others within their community, just like we do, but they clearly had relationships with people on the outside. I I forget what the statistic is and I don't even have this in my notes, but it it just dawned on me. But there's a statistic that's that's alarming that it doesn't take but a couple of years once a person comes to Christ before they are so integrated in the church and all of the programs that the church offers that they no longer rub shoulders with non-believers. They clearly prayed, they clearly cared for one another, but they spoke of Jesus to outsiders. I wanna talk about uh, what I call CPR. It's called Cultivate, Plant, and Reap. It's just kind of a process, I think, in in, in terms like this, uh, of what that might look like in verse 47. First part of verse 47, so let's talk about cultivating first, it says this. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. These folks, not only had an interior life focus, but an exterior life, an exterior life that was lived out in the presence of unbelievers. Enjoying the favor of all people suggests that relationships had and were being built with those who don't know Jesus. Relationships open the door for seeds of the gospel to be planted. The watching community was favorably impressed. That's what it's painting here. Not with their building. They didn't go, oh, wow, look at the synagogue. Not with with their talents. Look at what they can do. But it says that the watching community was favorably impressed with their lives as they watched them. What does it mean to win favor with people? Well, before we can answer that question, let's not miss a key part of their life. Verse 47 begins with, praising God and praising God it starts with. Because they lived a life of praising God, because they lived a life where where God was their primary focus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Because they did that first, their demeanor and their attitude was certainly affected in the world. Christianity is a religion of relationships with people. It's extremely hard to fulfill the commands of Christ if we choose to live a hermit-like Christian life. So as we cultivate relationships with people, we may not always be liked because of our willingness to stand for truth. We've all faced that, right? We may not always be liked because we stand for truth, but I want you to hear something. But let's not give them more reasons to dislike us because we're judgmental, because we're arrogant, because we're self-righteous, because we're two-faced, because we're critical, because we're always picking fights, because we're choosing sides on things that really don't matter in the end. Let's not give them more reasons to not like us. They had favor with all people. A believer gains favor with the unbelieving world through grace, through kindness, through mercy, through love. Favor is gained by living a different way than what the world lives, a way that they're not used to, a way that blows their mind. There's a statement that goes like this, live in such a way that your life demands an explanation of the gospel. Live in such a way that my life demands an explanation of the gospel. What keeps a church from being externally focused? What would keep us from fulfilling our mission to love God, love others, and serve the world? Kerry Newhoff answers part of that question in an article he wrote called, Signs Your Church is Geared to Insiders and Not Outsiders. It's a lengthy article, so I just, I just wanna paraphrase it. He says this, many churches say they long to reach their community. After all, the church is one of the only missions on the planet that exists for the sake of its non-members. Did you hear that? When I first read that, I was just like, whoa. After all, the church is one of the only missions on the planet that exists for the sake of its non-members. But there's this strange tension. As much as they say they want to reach outsiders, he continues, their services and the entire organization are geared towards insiders. And so the truth is there's this gravitational pull inside almost every church to sacrifice the church's mission by catering to the church's members. If we spend all of our time on self and catering to each other, we will be exhausted and have no energy or desire to win the favor of others so the door is open for planting the seeds of the gospel. He continues on, not to ignore the needs of your members, but to recognize there's a strange paradox that's true about spiritual maturity. The best way to become spiritually mature is to stop focusing on your needs and being focused on Christ and others. I think he says that really well. Cultivate. It goes on in in the first part of verse 47, and it's this idea of planting what I call seeds of the gospel. And maybe you're thinking, if you've already read this verse, Um, it doesn't say anything about planting seeds. So pastor, you're making this up. Uh, But I would would argue that uh, planting seeds is implied. And let me explain. The way that you live is a gospel seed. What comes out of your mouth is a gospel seed. The way that you act is a gospel seed. The way that you respond to someone is a gospel seed. The way you behave in tough situation is a gospel seed. The way you treat people is a gospel seed. The way you love is a gospel seed. The planting of seeds, gospel seeds, is implied. And the reason is because something happens in this verse, something happens between, and they had favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Something happens in there. There has to be some kind of bridge And I think that that bridge is the planting or the living out of the gospel. Influence is defined as the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, and the behavior of someone or something. So with that definition, we would have to say we all have influence, right? It could be with our children it could be with family members, a spouse, coworkers, acquaintances, but we all have influence. It's the capacity to have an effect on someone's character, development, or behavior. Those whom you have influence may not always do what you tell them to do. But one thing is for certain they will always do what you show them. Remember the phrase, live in such a way that your life demands an explanation of the gospel. When you live the gospel, there will be opportunities for you to share the gospel. When you live the gospel and you're planting gospel seeds, there will be opportunities for you to share the gospel. When we don't live the gospel, sharing the gospel is met with ears of uninterested people. Cultivate relationships and plant seeds. I think, um, I think this is an opportunity for us to rethink our lives. If someone says, what did you do today? I was out planting seeds. All day long. I was just just planting seeds. Well, how'd you do that? Well, maybe I woke up in the morning and I said, Lord, would you use me today? Would you help me to not be so focused on my day and the things I gotta get done and my work and kids' activities and stress and all these things? Would you help me not be so focused on that, but would you help me, Lord, be focused on planting seeds of the gospel? with people that I come in contact with, with conversations I have, unexpected situations with my kids? Would you help me seize every opportunity, every moment? When I'm at work, would you help me just to to scatter seeds everywhere? When I'm at the ball game, would you help me just to plant seeds? With my neighbors, would you help me just plant seeds? I think even just rethinking a little bit that, um, I think what it could help us with is this idea like, you know what, I, I don't understand, I don't even understand my purpose. I don't understand the purpose for my job. I don't understand the purpose for these relationships. I don't understand. And we got so focused on, on things like that, understanding purpose, and, and I don't like my job, or I don't like this person, or I don't like this, or I'm, I'm, if we could just rethink our lives for a second and say, wait a minute, the reason I woke up this morning is because Jesus... God, the Holy Spirit, wants to use me. He has a purpose for me. And one of those purposes is to plant seeds of the gospel all day long. That's all I did. Maybe we'd be exhausted by the time we go to bed and say, man, I'm so exhausted from just planting seeds. I've been planting all day. The R is reap. Look at the second part of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's some significant takeaways in the second part of verse 47. First, it's a divine work, and I think that this is a relief. People coming to Christ is God's doing. Creative programming is great, but ultimately, it does not save people believing and responding to the gospel message is what saves. No one is saved because they participate in one of our outreach-focused events like VBS or, or social media talk that's coming up or all of the wonderful things. Maybe you saw the car in the foyer we're gonna talk about here in a little bit. No one is saved through all of those things. No one. No one's gonna say, I saw that car in the foyer and I fell on my face before the Lord and gave my life to Jesus. No one's gonna do that. Those are all great avenues for us to serve the world but in and of themselves they do not add to the number daily those who are being saved. They are simply pathways where we invite Jesus to work through us and the Holy Spirit to work through us to draw people unto himself. And the Lord added to the number. It says the Lord added, in fact, He tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. This might be a challenge for some of you. It's not our job to convict the world that they might be awakened and fall at our feet and say, What must I do to be saved? It's not our job. It's not going to happen. Because if we even attempt to do what only he can do, it will not be genuine. It's not gonna be genuine. It cannot be genuine, because it's not our job to save people. The Holy Spirit's job, as one commentator put it, is the hound of heaven. You wanna know something? Right now, he's hounding some of you. He's on you. He's drawing you. He's working in you. We have to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. If you are hearing what I am saying, it takes a tremendous amount of pressure off of us. Sometimes, or at least I know it's true for me, it's out of fear for me, it's out of desperation for me that I so badly want to be somebody else's Holy Spirit. Some of you experience this maybe with a parent or a friend or somebody in your small group who wants to be your Holy Spirit, who wants to convict you. It's our job to cultivate relationships. It's our job to plant seeds. And then it's our job to get out of the way and allow the Lord to reap the harvest. One important takeaway is that the credit for the number of people being saved was not directed to Peter's preaching or even to the the apostles' wonderful miracles or the Spirit's manifestations, as the scripture says. It was the Lord adding to the number. He works through his bride. He works through the church to accomplish his will. The watching community, according to this passage, the watching community were surrendering their lives. They were in need of a great God who could save someone who was in great need. The story of the Bible tells us of humans who try and survive without God, which points us to a redeeming factor, right? So people really have two choices. Either they can spend their time defending their reasoning for rejecting God, they could spend their whole life doing that, or they can surrender. And to surrender means to give back, to give back over that which we took away to make it different. That would be describing our lives different than what it was intended. So to surrender, when I say, have you surrendered your life to Christ, it's to give your life back over. Admitting that I've taken it away and tried to make it different than it was intended. As we talk about CPR, the question becomes How are we as a church going to keep from becoming a statistic? How are we gonna keep from becoming one of the 87% that spends 100% of our resources on gathering and growing? How are we going to go? Well, with that, um, I don't have all those answers, but I know two guys that do. So I'm gonna invite uh, Pastor Jonas and Pastor Gary and as they come, Pastor Jonas is going to talk to us. He's going to answer all the questions for us as to how do we do that locally. And Pastor Gary's is going to answer all the questions for you. How do we do that globally? Well, not all the, not all the answers, but uh, we're, going to, we're going to give it a good shot. So, so talk to us a little bit. How are we going to keep from becoming a, a statistic,
1: Jonas? Well, thanks for saying I'm not going to answer all the questions. Um, that would be a high bar to keep here. You know, as, I, as you were preaching, Andy, first, I just want to say thank you for acknowledging that we all have influence and God's invited us all into this process of kingdom, kingdom laboring. About 19 years ago, my wife and I realized after a message like this that our life was completely centered and orient, oriented around, patterned around the church that I worked for and the seminary I worked for and the seminary I attended. And we had no friends that we could identify who, knew, who didn't know Jesus. Like that was our entire life, and we knew that was a season. But the Lord, in His kindness, brought that to our attention, and we started praying about that, and then we noticed that we really did have patterns. We went to the same Target pharmacy every month. We went to this uh, place to buy our groceries. We got our hair cut at the same place. And, and through the Lord's kindness, He began to show us that um, we really could, That while that wasn't ideal and not a season we wanted to live in forever, in that season, we could be activated. And so some language that helped us was this language of pray and watch. So we started praying. God, would you be with so-and-so? Would you, by the power of your spirit, work in their heart? Um, would you draw them to Jesus and make them into a kingdom laborer? And, and we, we did that kind of praying on purpose. You know, God, would you, by the power of your spirit, work on that person uh, in their heart, draw them to the Lord, and then turn them into one who labors in your kingdom with us? And 20 years later, we're still in that journey, and we still enjoy fruit from that, and we still practice that. And so I, that's where I start in local outreach. It's by prayer.
0: So what I hear you saying, though, is we actually have to like people then?
1: Well, God likes people. Yeah, okay. So if you want to be like God, <laughs> and, and you know, one. Um, First John says we love because he first loved us. And so it really does start there. And uh, I was with two people in the last two weeks that just blessed me more than they know. Uh, one person I work with she came and said, "Hey, um, a friend of ours from church, we were on the next door app now, if you're not on the next door app, I would encourage you to consider that as a local outreach expression it's a social media channel for your neighborhood, and then to be one who in in um, engend- uh, causes goodwill <laughs> you know be a pleasant neighbor there but on the next door app they they offered up hey could is any are any of the ladies in this group uh, interested in doing a Bible study in our neighborhood and within twenty four to 36 hours, They had 20 ladies who indicated, yeah, we'd be willing to do that. We'd be interested. So it was kind of a surprise. And then on Thursday, I was having lunch with a friend, and he said, "Um, we started something in our neighborhood. We told people we're going to get together. We're going to read the scriptures. And we just took some courage and said, would you like to come? And more than 50% of their group right now doesn't know Jesus that they know of. And it was by prayer. They got to know the person's name. They prayed for them, and then they just invited them. And it was all in the normal, uh, everyday patterns of their life. And I find that to be just tremendously encouraging and really helpful. Um, there are um, things about our world. I don't know if you all know this, but um, the, the world has come to Fargo. <laughs> Maybe uh, I meet a number of people who haven't been in Fargo for 20 years, and they come back and they're like, wow, something's different here. And if you look around, you start to notice an ethnic diversity that's real here. The school across the parking lot, there's more than 18 languages spoken in that school. There's about 500 kids, K through fifth grade. Um, Reportedly, the wealthiest man in North Dakota lives within slingshot distance of the church. And some of the most impoverished people in North Dakota live within slingshot distance of the church. So church, we have one of the most amazing opportunities. The world is here and the ethnic diversities, the migration realities, the immigration realities that are here have brought opportunities to us that the Lord has just gifted to us. And, and then the other thing that, that blew me away as I've gotten to know some of my friends is um, a lot of these people come here knowing Jesus. So we have a Burundi Fellowship that meets with us every Sunday morning at 1045. They worship together downstairs. And part of why we've resourced them to do this is because generationally, the older generation doesn't know English yet. It's really hard to learn English if you've ever had to journey that way. But each of the generations are successively learning English more. And 130 years ago, this church didn't speak English. We were a Norwegian-speaking church. And, and it's the same pattern now repeating itself here in our community again and again and again. And so we have just tremendous opportunities around us. Um, one of my favorite things, I could do this for a long time, so you're gonna have to call yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, I get excited. Um, one of my favorite things right now is uh, an opportunity we have with Bridges, which is a Ministry of Campus Crusade. Uh, international students in the United States, as a high statistic, maybe as much as 80 to 90%, will never enter into the home of an American as an international student. And Bridges has come to us and said, if you would be so willing or so inclined, we would love to pair you up with an international student who says, I would love to go to lunch with an American or go to a a hockey game or could they take me to Walmart. The things that you and I pattern over and we do without thinking about, um, a lot of them will never experience that. And if you're interested in partnering with me with Bridges and other ministries like this, please email me or fill out that response card Allison talked about. And you can write Bridges, you can write International Students, you can write Jonas, whatever whatever you want. I'll follow up with you. Uh, Drop it in the giving box. I'd love to partner with you because it's life-changing. One of my dreams for our church, I have three parts, that you pray and watch for God to work. Because when you're looking for God to work, you're going to see him work. And it encourages you so much. And it orients you right. Second would be that you would have a friend who's working in cross-cultural ministry, like my friend in Bridges, because it messes with you. (laughs) You start to see God's kingdom so much bigger than this. And third is that you would feel empowered to share your faith. It's not as hard as we make it out to be. The enemy would love to discourage you. You have everything you need by the power of the Holy Spirit to share the hope you have in Christ. And I want to be an encouragement to do that.
0: So you've talked a lot about uh, us personally going Absolutely. Um, outside of the walls of the yep. church. So And then I, I kind of said, you know, we as a church offer programming. We do kinds of different kinds of things that become avenues for gospel seeds to be planted, and we invite God to work through. What are some of those things? And then tell us
1: about this, this uh, car that ran into the pole. Yeah, the, yeah, we had an accident out, out there, the it looks like. Um, so just briefly, on our website, com slash serve, We've identified about 20 opportunities inside and outside the church with strategic partners and here within the church where you can take the way God's gifted you and use that to build his kingdom. So I mean, things like Good News Club after school, we do that. Um, things like serving at the New Life Center, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome stuff. The trunk is a, a vision that, that you brought to us to say, how can we get more of us serving together at the same time to create goodwill for our community? So on Saturday, October 30th, we're gonna have Trunkapalooza. Last year we did Trunk Street and people drove through. This year we're doing Trunkapalooza, we want people to walk through. And we're looking for at least 40 volunteers, and I think we can have more, who would open up the trunk of their car and give away all the candy we're hoping you'll help us collect in that trunk. So that, that's out there to say, can you help us generate as much candy as possible? And for I know there's some health conscious people in here, we won't give all the candy to one kid, okay? We're going to spread it out, and, and we just want to do a really kind thing for our community to build goodwill and develop relationships on that day.
0: So building bridges with the community, and so we're asking all of these people, all of our folks, to bring candy. That's what we're asking, and fill that trunk full of candy?
1: That's the first ask. The okay. second ask, so that's the low-level bar that everybody okay. can do that. The second would be, would you come and serve with us? We yeah. would love to have you here. It would be so much fun to have three to 500 people who call Bethel Church home, smiling in our parking lot, welcoming people, making sure that every kid from our neighborhood who shows up has a great time.
0: It's going to be this tailgating event, but it's going to be done before the bison, bison game. game. Yes. So don't worry. It'll be over before the bison game.
1: We are culturally aware of where we do ministry. Right.
0: Yes. Yes. We, ha- we, we have to look at a calendar every time we plan something. Yes. Right?
1: Yeah. yeah, just like a good missionary. Yeah, okay. Speaking of missionary. Right. Can you guys bring candy? Thank you. <laughs> Thank
0: you, Rick. <laughs> yeah, Anybody else? <laughs> Can you bring candy to help us? Can we fill that trunk multiple times? Can you serve? Do you know somebody who could help you maybe come up with a trunk and... and Decorate a trunk and hand out candy, and we're gonna have free food. We're gonna have all kinds of stuff. Can you do that, somebody? Okay, we got two. All right, right. we're gonna sign up right after. Well,
1: it's a stretch for me. Right for the service, right? I don't. This isn't my thing, like that I naturally do. But I think it's good for us to serve together in some of these things because it helps us get to know each other better, and and it also displays in a in a a little bit further outside the church walls that we really do care about our neighborhood. Right. (laughs) And and that's what we're going for.
0: Globally,
2: globally, yes. Well, it starts here at home. You know, you don't go overseas to reach the world unless you have a passion and an interest in actually reaching your neighbors. And for me, as I listen to what Jonah says, that a lot of it has to do with just taking time. You know, I rush into my garage and, you know, have my busy schedule and my neighbors out in the drive, and I rush out and take off. He sees me coming and going, coming and going. And I've made an intentional choice to take some time, to leave a little extra time to engage with my neighbor and and just be a friend. And it's been a, a neat experience these last few months as I've done that. Jonas is right. The world has come to us. It's shrunk so much. You know, we have so many opportunities that we didn't have before. Another thing that 's happened is God has is working in a mighty and a powerful way, actually not so much in North America and Europe anymore, but in Asia and Africa and Latin America. The locus of his spirits moving is actually went north to Europe, went west to America North America, south to Latin America, and now it 's actually moving east. There are more missionaries being sent from countries like India and Korea and even China into other parts of the world to reach the world for Christ. So God is working. I like the Waymaker song, God's working even when we don't see Him working. And we need to ask Him how we can be involved. It's out of sight, out of mind. So if we're not intentional, it's easy to not think about The 70 some missionaries that we support, that are partners with us. It's easy to not think about uh, those that are out there serving and and perhaps are short on food or suffering, people in their churches are suffering all types of uh, difficulty because of um, refugee status and wars and conflicts and ethnic unrest and just plain poverty. This past year past summer we actually we sent two things and they kind of you may think they contradict each other we sent money so in Nepal they would have technology to connect with their people and they have a zoom awana going on in Nepal where the kids sign in on zoom and have their awana program but then we also sent food they need the technology for the outreach they're locked down but because they're locked down they can't go out and work And people actually are are losing their lives because of hunger. So I think, uh, as we think globally, it's all about intention. We as a church have made that a priority. We have about 16% of our revenues that come in each year that go out specifically to global and local outreach. And we have that. uh, Those partners are funded by, actually, if you compared all that we do as a church in programming, 75% of our resources for programming go into those outreach opportunities. So, but pick up that prayer sheet, connect with a missionary, look on our website, learn about someone who, that you could pray for, you could have an interest in. We will have opportunities to go once again, but you don't have to go overseas to touch someone's life who's from another culture. Often you just go down the street. In my neighborhood and Bluemont area, as I think about just a few neighbors around me, I have someone from Egypt who lives a couple houses down. There's someone from China, a couple houses the other direction. What am I doing to try to build relationships? It all starts here. And then God will use us not only here, but if we have a heart for what's going on overseas, He'll use us there as well.
0: You know, we, we talked about, as we close here, we talked about that church that's running on, you know, three tires, but it's got that flat tire, and it's just not out of balance, and I feel like, just again, being encouraged, listening to you guys, that we're continuing to put air into that fourth tire, and we're continuing to, to put that in front of us, that, that God has called us to be a going church. So, thank you guys for, for being up here and for sharing. Yeah. Thanks. Would you guys stand as we close with the worship song, and I want to leave you with the one thing, um, as you stand and to kind of close out this, this three week series, we talked about gather and it's this idea of representing God's kingdom. We talked about growing, which means pursue consistency with God and community with others. And then today we talked about cultivating relationships, planting seeds of the gospel and reaping the harvest. Let's worship together.